Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Today's show is dedicated to investors that are concerned about geopolitical events, the stock market, and the value proposition they may present to investors. Joining us today is Bob Moriarty. He is a highly decorated Marine pilot that flew 832 missions in Vietnam, the founder of the websites 321gold and 321energy.com. He is highly regarded and sought out for his contributions and insights into the natural resource space, geopolitics, and investing, and recently published a must-have book for serious, astute investors entitled Nobody Knows Anything. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Sure, it's a pleasure being here. Bob, for first-time listeners that may not be familiar with your body of work, please share your background and discuss your websites, 321gold and 321energy.com, please. Well, my wife and I had been in the computer business up until about the year 2000, and we were kind of semi-retired. We didn't have enough money to live the rest of our life, but we had enough money that we, we didn't have to go to work next week. And in 2001, I looked at the market uh, for gold and silver, and I'm a contrarian. And if you're a contrarian, when you looked at gold and silver in 2001, it was absolutely clear we were at a bottom. It was a classic contrarian signal. So uh, we started the website in the summer of 2001. Uh, we called the bottom in gold accurately, I think, in May, and the bottom silver accurately in November. And there were some tremendous opportunities in 2001, 2002, 2003. You could throw money at junior resource stocks and make 200, 300, 400, 500% returns. Uh, it was a golden age where every guy in Vancouver, Toronto, could start a resource company and raise unlimited funds. Well, let me ask you this, if I may, Bob, is that opportunity you think still available here today? Yeah, I think so. Now, now readers are obviously a lot more sophisticated now than they were then, primarily because of the Internet. But we had a similar situation in December where the cops were the most favorable for gold in, in 14 years. And, and that's another contrary indicator that tells you you're at the bottom. So I, I said, uh, this is what she get at bottoms. And then in February, I did a piece and I looked and said, hey, wait a minute, the XAU and HUI are up 21%. Maybe we've already seen the bottom. And, and it appears had, we've had some extraordinary gains in the last six months with a lot of stocks up 300, 400, 500% because they had been so demolished from 2011 until 2015. Uh, I'll give you an example. Minko Silver had a dollar share in cash, had a 160 million ounce silver deposit in China, and they were selling for 36 cents. How do you lose money buying dollar bills for 36 cents? <laughs> That's a, quite a, a clever way of putting it. You know, Bob, you've established yourself as one of the most trusted and respected names in the industry. Therefore, I have to ask you, 
What has you concerned regarding the stock market? Well, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. The, the single biggest financial issue in the world today is the debt level. The world is wash in debt. And a lot of people are going to go to bed rich and they're going to wake up poor. Uh, that happened with Bernie Madoff. It happened with that clown down in Houston who had fake banks down in the Caribbean. There is an enormous amount of paper assets whose real value is zero, and they're going to go to zero. The reason the stock market has gone up so much since uh, 2009 is not because of the inherent value of the stock market. It's, it's due to QE, but, you know, a really simple question is, if you have a debt problem, how do you solve it by going into more debt? And the answer is you can't. That, that, that's, you know, it sounds simplistic, but it makes so much sense. And yet most, of, most investors that are not in the natural resource space, they can't make that distinction. Why is that? Well, uh, we're going to get into discussing the book shortly. You just raised a really important question. And the question is, how much information are we getting is valid and how much of it is noise? And my contention is most of what we hear is sheer noise. Uh, for example, uh, if you go back to December 2015, I was saying the ratio of gold to commodities is the highest in history. Commodities have never been this cheap in 5,000 years. Now, if you're a contrarian and you're looking at the value of something being the cheapest in 5,000 years, you have to look at it and say, gee, maybe it'll go up. So when we look at a 25% increase in the price of gold and we look at a 100% increase in the price of oil, what went up, commodities in general or gold? And the answer actually is commodities in general. People tend to, they do the opposite of simplification. They make things so complicated that you're supposed to believe them, even though there's no logic to what they say. And, and that's why most investors lose money. I would have to concur with that wholeheartedly. You know, one of the things that I tend to notice with investors that have no background in the natural resource space, uh, they tend to not know what constitutes the Dow, nor are they aware of the Dow divisor. So they're not aware that 30 companies can switch, <laughs> and they're not aware of the Dow divisor. If they knew the distinction between those and they knew the constant is versus gold, I think we'd have a lot more uh, investors in the natural resource space. But uh, there is a lot of... Um, I would say sophisms that are presented in the, in the mainstream media. So we're glad to have your your input here today. Now, what ripple effect do you believe this will have geopolitically if we have a a stock market crash potentially? Uh, the stock market crash actually be the, will be the smallest part of the crash. I think the bond market is eight times bigger than the stock market. The serious money is in bonds, and we've got a situation, uh, let me give you an example. 
Uh, I came back from Vietnam in 1970 and got out of the Marine Corps and I went to school and studying economics at Columbia and Iona University in, in New York State. If I had walked into an economics class and said, the time is going to come when we're going to have negative interest rates, I would have immediately flunked the course. There is no logical, rational, possible reason you could go to negative interest rates. The concept that loaning money is somehow safer than shoving it on your mattress is so ludicrous that for, for I think there's $10 trillion in government bonds uh, yielding a negative uh, interest rate. That's insane. We are doing things that are utter insanity. There will be thousands of books written saying, why didn't somebody warn us? Well, now in reference to the bonds and as far as the potential of a crash, as you've alluded to, that is eight, the, the market is eight no, times. No, no, no. You said potential. There is no way the bond market cannot crash. It has to crash. Mathematically, there is simply no other option. The bond market is going to crash. The biggest names in bonds are saying that. Some of the biggest investors in the world are short the Dow and the S&P. Uh, we're going to have a monstrous crash. Now, it's even worse than that. <clears throat> According to the BIS, I think there's $583 trillion in derivatives. And I hear a lot of people using numbers of uh, one uh, gigatrillion or 1.5 gigatrillion. And, and I don't particularly believe that number. So we could verify $583 trillion in derivatives. That is almost $100,000 in derivatives per man, woman, and child on Earth. Because of that, most of it has to be fraud. One bank, the Deutsche Bank in Germany, has $65 trillion in derivatives. If Deutsche Bank hiccups, it will bring down the entire banking system. It could happen in a week. I tell you what, I stand corrected, and I thank you for correcting me, and the numbers are just astounding. Repeat yeah, of course. It's just, it's, it's concerning to me, as not just as an investor, uh, but as a citizen. It is just truly well, remarkable. Here, here's what's scary, Maurice. I was saying this 15 years ago. Uh, guys like Marvin King, guys like George Soros, guys like the Bond King, they're all saying the same thing now, if you listen to them. Now, they knew it 15 years ago, but they were along for the ride and they were making a lot of money. Ordinary investors have the information that is available to them that using their own knowledge and their own good sense can make rational investments. And what would you rather have, a million-dollar Greek bond in your left hand or a ton of sugar in your right hand? I'll, I'll be real blunt. I'd rather have the sugar I can do something with it. Sounds like a sweet deal. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. Bob, let me ask you this. Um, re with regards to the bond crash that is coming, how do you see that geopolitically? How do, what are the ripple effects that we, we might have here? 
Well, uh, it, it's question, which came first, chicken or the egg? Now, can you give me an answer? I'm going to have to say the chicken. Maybe it was the egg. Where'd the chicken come from? It's true. I, it's, it's a, a riddle I've never been able to, uh, to conquer. That <laughs> yeah, is. It, it literally is. We, we are literally on the verge of World War III. Paul Craig Roberts, uh, Pat Buchanan, uh, Gregory Orloff, some of the best minds, Adam Taggart, have all written pieces in the last week or two saying that what we're doing with Russia is utterly insane. Uh, Russia attacked terrorist forces that were being supplied by Israel and the United States a few days ago. And the Americans sent up airplanes to run the Russians off. So the Russians left. And when the American airplanes ran out of fuel, the Russians came back and bombed them again. Now, here's what you need to know, and you don't have to be a Democrat, you don't have to be a liberal, you don't have to be a conservative, you don't have to be a Democrat, you just have to use your damn head and good sense. What interests does the United States have in Syria? And the answer is none, none whatsoever. It ain't our problem. But if you say, what interest does Russia have in Syria? The answer is quite simple. They've got a warm water port there, and their only other warm water port is in Crimea, okay? And one of the things throughout the last 400 years of Russian history is they wanted to have a warm water port that was open 12 months a year. Now, while we talk about Assad being a bad guy, we don't actually define bad guy. What did Assad do to piss off the United States, Israel, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia? And the answer is nothing. So we are supplying the terrorists. It is not a civil war. Russia has absolute geopolitical interests in Syria. And they've made it absolutely clear that they intend to defend those geopolitical interests. One of the things that, that could happen when somebody sells, tells you, don't mess with me, one of, one of the alternatives is that's exactly what he means. Now, regardless of you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, labor, If Barack Obama and Vladimir Putin put on boxing gloves and got into a ring for three minutes, I would bet my entire fortune at 10 to 1 odds and guess who I would vote for. <laughs> I think the answer is quite obvious. Yeah, exactly. You know, the nicest thing you can say about Obama is – 
He's a very well-spoken guy as long as his teleprompter works. He's a rotten leader. He's gotten the United States involved in wars that we cannot possibly afford. We have no leadership in the United States. Um, I, I'm working on an article right now about the, the, the prospect for World War III. And the fact is, World War III could start in a week. A Deutsche Bank could go under in a week. And we don't know. Uh, bad things are coming. It, it would be a good time to be investment, be in some investments that have real value. Everybody's going to lose money. And they, the objective would be lose as little money as possible. So... I would contend then everyone should be prepared and needs to be somewhat independent. Um, with the narrative still following geopolitical events, how about China? China's the wild card. And in what regard is that? Well, China's got a problem right now. They poured money. They've increased their debt level in China. We're always talking about $3 trillion in cash. And $3 trillion in cash sounds like a really good deal until you realize they've got $28 trillion in debt. Uh, China has to keep people employed. They have a giant population problem. They've got to keep these people fed, and they've got to keep them employed. And, and that's a real problem, and I'll give China credit. They've managed to do some pretty amazing things, and, and they've got a government that's run by committee, and I'm never in favor of that. But they've made some remarkable changes that are good for the Chinese people over the last 20 or 30 years. The very best thing that could happen for China would be a real serious crash. Uh, they don't do anything about it. They don't bail out to fail banks, and 18 months later, they recover. The very worst thing that could do is do what the United States has done, and that's go in and have the government start tinkering with it. But when I say they're the wild card, <clears throat> there is a dispute in the South China Sea over a giant area of open water that has significant natural resources. Vietnam has claims, China has claims, Taiwan has claims, Indonesia has claims, Malaysia has claims, Philippines has claims, Brunei has claims. There is no solution, period. Okay? You're not going to make everybody happy. You may not even be able to make anybody happy. But that's the kind of thing that you get everybody in a room you hand them a load of 38, you, you lock the doors, say, okay, we're going to let you out when either one guy survives or you come to some kind of an agreement, but sort it out. And, you know, it would take 15, 20 minutes, and they'd sort it out. That's an issue that has to be settled through negotiation. What the United States is trying to do is to bully China. And China can certainly see what the United States has done with Russia, and they're not happy about that. If China and Russia announced a mutual defense treaty, we would be at war a week later. That's exactly what happened in, in 1939, and it could happen again. So, Bob, you're contending here, in essence, that World War, World War III could be between the United States and Russia, and the wild card in this is China. Is that correct? 
Uh, China's absolutely not the wild card. China is the wild card that t determines whether it's 100% probability or 90% probability. If Russia and the United States go to war, China is absolutely going to jump in because the one way they can get everything they want is, is participate in the winning side and then tell Vietnam and Taiwan and Philippines and Malaysia and Indonesia, okay, guys, you want to screw with me? And, and they're going to look at China and say, no, might does sometimes make right. Uh, it, it's a scary thing to say. We have handed China an enormous amount of power. They don't have enough power to stop it from happening, but they've got enough power to make it happen. Now, Bob, with the aforementioned going concerns that you've just discussed, how does NATO fit into this? NATO is a chihuahua. It, it's one of those irritating little piece of shit dogs that, you know, you just wish you had a broom handy you could poke it with and make a broom out of it. It runs around biting your ankles. But NATO was formed to provide a barrier against the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union ended in 1991, and all reason for having a NATO ended in 1991. World War I started because of overlapping treaties and commitments. If you remember back, uh, that Serbians assassinated Archduke Ferdinand in, in Serbia on June 28th of 1914, the, the Austrians got up in arms and they were going to attack Serbia. Uh, the Russians had a deal with Serbia and they were going to support the Serbians. The French didn't like the Russians, so they started to mobilize because the French mobilized, the Germans mobilized, and the Germans told England, you need to stay out of this or it'll start a world war. Uh, England ignored them. England mobilized, and we went to war. Now, the really strange thing is nobody started World War I. It just happened, okay? If you go back to, I think it was November 28th or November 25th of last year, the Turkish Air Force clearly uh, laid a trap for a Russian aircraft it was flying close enough to the border so they could claim it had infringed on their airspace. Now, if you believe 100% of what they say, and you shouldn't ever believe 100% of what any military says, if you believe 100% of what the Turks say, the Russian aircraft was only in Turkish airspace for 14 seconds. I was a fighter pilot. I flew the F-4 for, I don't know, five, six hundred hours. I had 125 missions to Vietnam. You couldn't possibly shoot an aircraft down in 14 seconds unless you had laid an ambush. It was an ambush. But the problem with it is if Russia had counterattacked Turkey, 
the rules of NATO say the rest of the NATO countries would have to defend Turkey against what was in essence an act of aggression on the part of Turkey. That's a very scary thing. If we go to war, it's not going to be in spite of NATO. It's going to be because of NATO. And even the German uh, foreign minister recently said that the United States needs to stop the saber-rattling threats towards Russia. And he's right. I mean, Europeans are beginning to realize that uh, NATO is, is not a float. It, it's an anchor. You know, uh, Bob, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned as I, as I hear this because one of the concerns I have is I'm, I'm very familiar with the situation. But what really concerned me today as it did then was that the citizenry here in the United States, that was not a topic of discussion for them. Really, what was the topic of discussion at that time was that the NBA had just started its regular season. And it's quite unfortunate that that's where we are as a, as a citizenry, as a nation, that we're not aware of the effects of a situation, just as you mentioned here with Turkey, with NATO, and the repercussions here. So I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing it to our attention. Thank you again. Now, Bob, let me ask you this. Sure. What can investors do, and what type of value proposition does this present for precious metals? Well, everybody's got four bucks. They can go buy my book and read it, and that'll do more value than any four dollars they ever spent in their entire life. And if they hate every idea in the book, it's still good value. Well, you know, Bob, you recently published your book, and let's discuss it, because it's, it would be very prudent for investors to read, which is aptly entitled, Nobody Knows Anything. What compelled you to write your book, and why is it so critical for investors to read? When Putin went in front of the UN back in October, and he asked the question, do you realize what you've done? I realized that that was the question that everybody should be asking, and nobody was. I mean, if you went up to an American and asked, you know, what do you think about what we did to Iraq? They're oblivious. I mean, Americans are the most ignorant people on earth, and I can assure you they're going to pay for that ignorance in spades. I People have been telling me for 45 years that I should write a book because I had an interesting career in the Marine Corps. And uh, I would start typing, and Barbara would ask me a question. And then I would go back to typing, and she would ask me another question. And I would go back to typing. And after about the 63rd time, I realized this isn't going to work. And a friend of ours had offered the use of a place in Europe uh, for whatever time I wanted. And it was quiet and comfortable, and nice little town. And I said, go stay there and write your book. Uh, so I did that. And it actually took me three weeks to write the book. And I found an editor in Japan. He did a pretty good job. And, and we got the book up in January this year. And that book is called The Art of Peace, and it's available on Amazon. But writing the book made me realize that, gee, you know, writing books is not all that difficult. And it's actually very easy to publish a book today on Amazon. 
So uh, I, I, I came back in March to the same place, and I was waiting for Barbara to come over. And I was bored, silly, and I thought, what could I do to occupy my time? And I thought, well, last time you were here, you, you wrote a book, so why don't you do another one? So I thought, you know, what would investors like to know? Uh, so that's what the book's about. What I'm trying to do is convince people that they can use their own knowledge, their own common sense, to make reasonable investments, and they do not have to listen to experts, they do not have to listen to gurus, and they don't have to listen to other fools. Much of the information, I'm going to say 60-80% of what investors are told is sheer hogwash, verging on fraud, and all of the guys using the terms such as naked shorts and COMEX default and, and commercial signal failure and gold derivatives time bomb, they made it all up. Okay, none of those concepts actually exist, and they're trying to convince people to, to listen to them by using buzzwords. And the actual fact of the matter is, if, if investors use their knowledge, uh, good sense, I, I put in a, a list of good people to listen to where you can get a lot of good information. And, and you can make money doing it. Let me let me give an example. I wrote a piece on Saturday that was posted on Monday on Streetwise Report and the Gold Report. And I pointed out that the dollar price spread between gold and platinum was the highest in history. Gold was a $331 premium to platinum. And that doesn't make any sense. It costs more money to find platinum. It costs more money to process platinum. Platinum is more valuable for a bunch of reasons. And if, if you're at the biggest spread in history, somebody's going to realize that, and that's going to turn overnight. And we're talking on Thursday, and the spread has decreased by $44 between uh, Friday of last week and today. So that's the equivalent of making $44 an ounce on either platinum or gold. And all you would have to do is either short platinum and go gold long, I'm sorry, uh, buy platinum and, and go short gold or buy a uh, platinum ETF and sell a gold ETF. There's a lot of things that investors can do that they don't need to listen to experts. I mean, that's the idea. I know all these guys. I mean, I've gone to all these gold shows. I've listened to these guys. Most of them are full of crap. <laughs> well, thank you for being so blunt about it. <laughs> and no, I, no, I'm being really nice. <laughs> well, thank you again for sharing that. And I have to concur with you as well in, in regards to platinum. You know, I'm a big advocate for uh all the precious metals, but I, I really love platinum and palladium, and I look forward to reading your book, and I agree with uh, the piece that you wrote on Streetwise Reports. It was a very good piece, and I encourage all listeners to uh, to take a look at that. We will provide a link for you on that as well. Um, well, let me, let me give you a perfect example. Uh, it's averaged 53 to 1. It's been as high as 100 to 1. It's been as low as 16 to 1. 
okay? There is a ratio between 16 to 1, 100 to 1, uh, at which either gold's cheap or, or uh, silver's cheap. Uh, when I wrote the book, and I do cover it in, in some detail in the book, when I wrote the book in March, the ratio of silver to gold was 84 ounces of silver. Now, regardless of how you feel about gold as a political metal or, or religious metal or a, you know, take down J.P. Morgan metal and all the bullshit that we're fed, there's a relationship between them. And a very good way to make money is to buy what's cheap and to sell what's dear. So if you sold gold and bought silver in March, the ratio right now is about 73 to 1. Now, that's not quite as good a deal as platinum was a week ago. But again, it's, you know, take all the politics out of it. Take all the emotion out of it. Take all the... You know, we're in the right and we're going to nail those bastards and the cartel and J.P. Morgan. And that's all nonsense. OK, guys have been running around for 15 years screaming goals manipulated. Let me ask you a question. Give me an honest answer. Name one market that is not manipulated. I am unable to do that. Nobody can. All markets are manipulated. So a guy running around saying the markets are manipulated or goals manipulate, well, duh. That's like saying wheels are round. Or I got this marvelous invention, I'm going to call it fire. Well, God, you didn't invent fire. You didn't invent the wheel. That's been around forever. Every investor needs to know. When somebody tells you the cartel's in a panic and we're running out of gold and there's going to be a commodity collapse and this is going to happen and that's going to happen, one of the things that you need to know is that everybody has a bias and everybody has an agenda. So when you read something or you listen to something, you need to ask yourself, what's this guy's agenda? And if his agenda is getting you to, to send him money, you need to take that into account. Now, will I admit that I'm just as guilty as everybody else? Of course I am. I want your four bucks, okay? I need that four bucks, and you need to know what's in the book. Where can they purchase the book? Uh, they can buy it on Amazon. The Kindle version is $3.99, the paper version is $9.99, and I would have lowered the price, except that I want to lower the price to the point where nobody perceives it has any value. If I charged 100 bucks for the book, people would think, gee, that's way too expensive. And, and I, spoke, I, I think the cost of printing the book, I, I think I could sell the book for $5.99 and, and still make a little bit of money. I could sell it for $5.99 in a print version, but people look at it and say, this guy isn't serious. It, it's a good book. I, I mean, I hate to say it, and I, I would say absolutely candid. It was an accident. I wrote it because I was bored, but it's a pretty good book. <laughs> well, again, I look forward to reading it. In closing, sir, what did I forget to ask? Ah. Uh, I don't know. There's so much interesting stuff going on right now, so much dangerous stuff. 
Americans need to wake up. They, they are in grave, grave danger. And the, the possibility of, of uh, conflict with Russia is very real. Uh, if it takes place, it'll be over in a week and the U.S. is going to lose. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, do you know anything about the USS Zumwalt? I do not. Uh, the Navy just lost a ship. It's a destroyer. Now, I, I don't expect you to know much about the cost of destroyers, but give me a price. What do you, what do you think a destroyer costs today? It's in hundreds of millions, if not billion. How about $4.4 billion? That's a quite a significant number there. The P-51 during World War II cost $51,000. And the reason I remember it is because it's so easy to remember. The helmet for the F-35 cost $400,000. The software doesn't work. F-18s beat it in air-to-air -air combat, and it will never enter combat. Newsweek magazine called it the airplane that sunk the Pentagon. We lost in Vietnam. I can tell you all about the stupid wars. We lost in Iraq. We lost in Afghanistan. We lost in Libya. We lost in Somalia. We lost in Syria. We lost in Pakistan. We lost in Sudan. Do you see a pattern here? It is one that I don't like to see, but yes, I see a recurring pattern. When President Eisenhower left office, he said, beware of the congressional military industrial complex. Now, his speechwriters, for political reasons, made him scratch out congressional. Congress has been bought and paid for. The, the entire military procurement program is run by a bunch of pimps who sold their country out. They're, they're literally traitors to the United States. And as long as uh, the government keeps paying for the equipment, uh, they're going to keep building it. And they don't give a damn if it works or not. Now, you can think the F-35 is a great airplane. The F-35 is supposed to be in service in 2006. It's 2016, and they don't think they're going to have software for it until 2020. Nobody has the guts to kill the program because something like 450 congressional districts in 45 states are getting money from Raytheon and defense contractors. The United States citizens have been sold out by the government, and if Americans don't wake up very soon, uh, they're going to pay for it in a very big way. Yeah, thank you so much for making that valid point. I, uh, again, as a citizen, I am aware of what uh, you've just mentioned, but my concern is I don't believe there's enough citizens that are aware of the information that you just shared with us. So, again, thank you so much. Uh, well, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I mean, thank you for taking the time to have me on. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure. I've followed your work for years. Uh, okay. In closing, Bob, let's get the, the website one more time. Uh, 321gold and 321gold.com, 321energy.com. There's two books that are both good books. Both of them are available on Amazon. The Art of Peace 
and it's a memoir and a, a political commentary on our constant warfare state, and, and nobody knows anything, and nobody knows anything is written for basic investors. I've had very sophisticated investors tell me it was the best book on investments ever written, and that's, that's quite a compliment. Yes, it is. Well, Bob, thank you again for joining us. Uh, in closing, I just want to, to salute you for all of your, your work and what you've done for this great nation. Uh, Bob Moriarty of 321 Gold and 321 Energy, thank you for joining us today on Proven Improbable. Thank you. All the best to you, sir. Thank you for joining us today on Proven Improbable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven Improbable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.